Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Welcome to My Blurred Opinion, episode 149. My God, we're already almost to 150. Um, never thought we'd make it this far, honestly. Never thought like an idea in my head would, would go on for this long. And Persistency has been, been key here. Um, and thank you all for being here with me and, and, and just supporting the show, whoever you are out there. Thank you again. Um, we're just going to keep getting into it and continue to find great guests and good uh, stories to talk to, or talk about. And I'm sorry, I'm still sleepy, but um, I know it always seems like I'm tired, but that's because I am. Ah. Um, but yes, I think Bullet does make an appearance on this episode. He does meow. So there's that, and he's purring and all that. But um, please enjoy our episode um, straight from the Bat Cave. Um, for those who don't know, I, I literally do my podcast from my apartment. Uh, it's based around a coffee table. It's kind of like the, the infrastructure that holds it all together. A boom arm. And look it up, figure out what it is. It's, it's just like a little attachment that goes on the side. And you pull it down, and the mic goes in there. And I use a Rodecaster Pro, which is where all the magic is done. Uh, R-O-D-E, Caster Pro. Uh, it's it's beautiful. I love it. Best six hundred dollars I ever spent. And um, if you ever want to get into podcasting, I would suggest trying to get one of those if you can afford it. Uh, there's other cheaper methods, but consider it. Um, but yes, let's get into this episode. Another great guest, and um, I hope you enjoy him as much as I enjoyed him. And uh, let's continue to put out some good energy out there. And if you can hear a little sound, not that sound. Uh, bullet was crunching. Anyway, there's a car going by and my window's open. So let's get out of here and get to the guest. Okay, guys, we are back again. Um, forgive me if I sound a little tired and groggy today. I just had a long doctor's appointment and stuff with my eyes, but... We're just going to jump right into it. Um, our next guest, he reached out to me and wanted to be on the show. Uh, got to know him a little bit. He's very uh, positive and seems like a really good dude. So I wanted to have his story on here for y'all to hear what he went through. Um, you want to kind of tell us a little about yourself and obviously tell us your name? Yeah, my name is Daryl Rogers, and I live in North Carolina right outside of Raleigh, Um and we've been here about 30 years, my wife, Kim, and I. Um, I'm from South Carolina originally. So we raised two boys, Justin and Chase, and um, they were seven years apart. And really, my story is about Chase. Um, Chase was a great kid growing up, um, quiet, easygoing, but... Um, he had a little bit of, uh, he, he had some issues with ADD, ADHD, but nothing real serious, but very, I've been around other kids with ADHD and his was a very mild uh, case for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, mostly a few little focus issues in the classroom, but, um, Chase, uh, very athletic, small, but athletic and, um, had, um, in, in the middle of his, um, really it was in the middle of his, uh, sophomore year that he began to have some issues um, mostly um, his grades were falling he was failing a class uh, he had never had any issues 
uh, prior to that with, with parades. Um, he um, was sort of developing an attitude, getting very rebellious um, with me at home. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what was going on with him. Nothing real serious, but I could just see a lot of warning signs popping up. And I was trying to, to figure it out and trying to talk to him. And I just wasn't making a lot of progress. So I have a, um, I have a military background. And I felt like that, you know, if, if Chase would transfer to a military school, I felt like that the structured environment, particularly with his ADHD, the structured environment discipline would be good for him. And he probably didn't agree with that. Um, I think that he was um, he was very easygoing, and he didn't really uh, tell me that, no, Dad, I really don't want to go there. If he had, I probably would have said okay and backed off, you know. But um, anyway, he ended up he ended up going there, and um, you know there were some issues going on at that school at that time that, that I didn't I wasn't aware of. Um, uh, overall, though, I mean the experience was was uh, positive in that he did bring his grades up, and he had a stellar um, uh, football season his senior year. There. He was a defensive back, played cornerback mostly, and um, made first-team all-conference, honorable mention, all-state. Um, and there were a few college scouts that reached out and uh, that were interested in him. And um, he ended up going to schools that are really on the Division II level <clears throat> on an athletic scholarship. Now, both of my boys were Eagle Scouts, too, and um, we spent a lot of time – doing things, you know, when they were kids uh, together, um, me and them, you know, in the outdoors and playing sports and hunting, fishing and hiking and camping and all of that kind of stuff. And um, anyway, he, uh, Chase, uh, graduated from the military school and, and he accepted an offer to uh, go play uh, football for this this uh, one school and um, go to school there and um, unfortunately, that's where he ran into some people who were abusing drugs and alcohol. Pretty soon, Chase was abusing drugs and alcohol and dropped out of school um, in his uh, middle of uh, his, well, second second semester of his freshman year. And um, he came back home, kind of gravitated to a rough crowd here at home right away. And he was uh, staying out late, you know, not really trying to improve his um, situation, not looking for work. Um, I offered to send him to, um, to offer to pay for him to go to uh, like a um, uh, trade school, you know, a community college and, and learn a trade. Right? I suggested maybe the military, you know, but he just wasn't interested in any of those things. And um, he wouldn't follow the house rules, which my wife had some really simple rules that were really, uh, we agreed on them, but really she was the one that, that was the most uh, insistent on this, that, look, if you're going to be gone overnight uh, somewhere, you have to at least check in and let us know that you're going to be overnight. Give us some idea of where you are, when we can expect you back. But he would be gone for days at a time. And uh, he pulled that stunt one day, and I ended up um, – not, you know, he came back to the house. Uh, somebody dropped him off at the front door. And they were waiting out front, and I wouldn't let him in. And it really broke my heart uh, to to watch him ride away with his friends because I didn't know if I would ever see him again or when I might see him again. 
but uh, kept up with him on social media. He was losing a lot of weight uh, rapidly. Uh, just looking at the pictures he would post, he very he wasn't a real big kid to begin with, um, but now he's losing weight. He's real thin, uh, pale, glassy eyed, and uh, we decided to have an intervention for him here in our in our home. And through that intervention, we got him into uh, treatment in um, in South Florida, and um, he, um, he got better, you know, he was there for, he was in treatment for 30 days and then he went to a halfway house, uh, bounced around to several different halfway houses, uh, during that time. And then, um, eventually, like I said, after about nine months, came back home, was doing a lot better when he got back, uh, was staying away from the people who had been a bad influence before, um, I got a job, was going to IOP, intensive outpatient care, kind of like group therapy, uh, two nights a week. And uh, we felt like we had the old chase back. His friends, his, his good friends, his closest friends and his family, we all felt like we had the old chase back. But then um, uh, after the, as the months went by, Chase was beginning to relapse. I didn't know what was going on exactly uh, with him. I didn't know anything about addiction at that time, but um, – I realized that he was relapsing. Uh, I realized something was, was going on. It was not right. And uh, finally he came to me one day and said, dad, you know, I'm headed in a bad direction again and I'm hanging around a rough crowd. And um, I need to, I feel like I need to get away from some of these folks, but I don't know how to do it except to move. So he told me he'd taken a job transfer to Florida back to the area where he had been in treatment, told me when he was planning to leave. I told my wife, Kim, and Kim made Chase promise to come by and have a meal with us before leaving for Florida. Uh, well, the day came. He was supposed to come by and eat with us. He didn't show up. It was getting later in the afternoon. Uh, Kim's getting a little upset because she thinks he's left for Florida without even stopping by to say goodbye. And we're sitting in the living room, Kim and um, our younger son, Justin, who was in the eighth grade at the time, and myself. We're in the living room just kind of watching TV, hanging out chirping our phones a little bit, talking, and um, I had a phone call from a friend and about that time, and I didn't want to disturb Kim and Justin with my phone conversation, so I went out in the front lawn. It was May 29, 2014, and I'm talking to my friend on the phone out on the front lawn, and a police cruiser pulled up the curb in front of my house, and I told my friend, I said, I got to go. Apparently, Chase is in some kind of trouble. We'd never been in any trouble before with the law, but I just knew he was headed in a bad direction. So, um, officer, you know, was making his way up my driveway and I, I met him there in my driveway. And that's where he told me, Mr. Rogers has been a bad wreck. I don't know, 40 and your son Chase died at the scene. And, uh, of course you can imagine, Jeez. um, it took me a little while to, um, to, you know, kind of process that. And, um, he asked me, uh, "Would is there anyone inside you'd like me to notify? And I said, well, my wife and my other son are in there. But uh, that's my job. Let me do that. And so he asked me if he could go in with me for support. And I agreed to that. And so uh, we went in through my front door. I went in first and made eye contact with my wife. Him, and a split second later, this officer comes in the door behind me. And, of course, I could see the expression on her face change right away because she knew whatever I was going to say 
wasn't going to be good. And um, our son, Justin, was back in the corner on the sofa. And I just had to come out and tell Kim, you know, um, honey, there's been a bad wreck. And Chase is dead. Of course, we all cried for a long time. It took a while to get settled down. And then um, the officer, we began to ask him questions about what had happened. He didn't have a lot of information that day. Um, we did find out as time went by a little bit, we began to find out that, um, uh, apparently we'd heard through the grapevine that there had been a going away party the night before and all kind of drugs and alcohol were served at that going away party. And, um, Chase and some of his buddies woke up late the next morning. They felt hungover. So they decided to go to the park and smoke some marijuana and, uh, this part was in the police report. They did go to the park. They did uh, smoke marijuana there in the park. And then they got in Chase's car uh, right after smoking. And um, he let uh, this girl that smoked with him, girl, really pretty girl. He dated her at one time. He let her get behind the wheel of his car. And um, he got in the front passenger seat. Another young man got in the back seat. And they left the park. They made one quick stop to grab a bite to eat headed out onto I-40 eastbound, right in rush hour traffic. Only went about two miles before she lost control of his car in a curb running about 70 um, miles per hour. And car spun out of control, left the road, struck a tree, um, and Chase died on impact. Um, the It took emergency personnel almost an hour to get the three of them out of the vehicle uh, the uh, other two were transported right away to the hospital with serious injuries, the driver and the backseat occupant, and um, they survived. They um, they recovered from their injuries over the next several weeks in the hospital, and then they returned home to continue their recovery at home. But uh, seven months after the wreck and then just a few weeks prior to what would have been her first court appearance, the uh, the driver um, took her own life. Um wow. The, and the guilt it was a very uh <clears throat> i'll just say that it was uh i would have never thought of going the way that she did it um she she set herself on fire so um uh, in the in the process the the apartment complex caught on fire and like 13 or 14 units burned down um, all those families were displaced. Fortunately, no one else was uh, injured or killed uh, in the fire. But uh, she died from a burns the next day in the hospital, and she left two suicide notes. Um, so, um, anyway, it, you know, it's just a it's a terrible story. No, um, yeah. But uh, there's so many life lessons uh, uh, in this story that things that people can learn from and. So um, I started um, speaking. Well, first I wrote a book that I published in 2015 about about Chase's life. And um, at the time, it was very raw for me. And, and I was still I was I was going through a lot of anger and and I didn't understand addiction. So I really blasted some people in the book. <laughs> but yeah. The book has done pretty well. It, it's uh, people can can download the electronic version for free on, on um, the Kindle version on Amazon, um, and it's had a ton of downloads. And I've heard from a lot of people who've read it, um, and 
Um, aside from that, you know, I started speaking, doing uh, drug prevention and impaired driving prevention speaking in 2016. And then in 2018, I began to, um, I began to do some um, uh, facilitating of a peer support group for parents who have children who are addicted to drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I learned a lot through that, and I became a family recovery coach. So I coach um, parents who have a child who's struggling with a drug or alcohol addiction. And um, that's kind of where I am now, it brings us up the current time sure um yeah. uh, no, i wanted to usually i kind of jump in but i just i was so like enthralled into your story because it's it, you know i didn't i didn't really know all of what it entails i mean you, yeah. you sent me some but i when you said uh in the very beginning about how he was having some trouble but then he went to a military school and everything was like got better mm-hmm. i'm like i know this isn't the end of this story and of course, <laughs> there's so many more horrible things to come. Um, but yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you, because I, I asked a a, a, a a parent this, or no, I asked a, a couple together, like because um, he had a wife who was disabled, and I asked them, you know, like when you sign up to be uh, married to this person before they ever had a disability, you say for better or for worse, and you don't really know what that entails. And I, I guess I can ask you the same thing as like being a father, like. Of course, you say for better or for worse with your kids, you don't, you you expect that to be true, and obviously in your case it is, but I mean, like, did you really know what you were getting yourself into? I mean, of course you had the ADHD, but like, it's kind of hard to really predict anything that could ever happen. Like, you just think, you know, I mean, everything is just kind of fairy tale. Like, oh, I have kids and everything goes well, but that's really not how it right. plays out for some people. Yeah, no, I had no clue at all, and. uh there had never been any uh, issues in my family with addiction, in my immediate family, you know, growing up. So I wasn't exposed to that. And um, so that that just totally caught me off guard. Um, and having, you know, I, I tell people this a lot. Uh, you know, it was raising our boys in the early days, particularly with Chase, was a little bit challenging early on because of his ADHD, you know, he, you know, we had taken him in to, and and we don't like, we didn't like, we didn't want to medicate Chase. And we resisted that for a while, but we realized he was going to have a tough time in school if we didn't do something. And, you know, I remember taking him to see the psychologist or psychiatrist and um, for him to um, assess him. And he's like, well, he's ADD attention deficit disorder, but no hyperactivity. I'm thinking, well, he doesn't live with him because <laughs> at times he could be very impulsive and very hyper. And uh, anyway, uh, but what I tell people is like, look, you know, we felt like once we got past that, the terrible twos and the threes, I, I did as a parent, I felt like, okay, I think I might have this parenting thing figured out, you know, because everything was rolling smooth and it just seemed like things were going along pretty good. And, and uh, overall, you know, you know, I mean, you expect some issues, but I mean, everything was, was going pretty smoothly, I thought. And then when the teenage years hit with Chase, it was like, I'm like, man, I don't know anything about parenting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought I knew what was going on, and now I'm like, I don't know a thing. 
Well, there's, there's, so, there's, there's, and again, I don't have kids, but I've, I've been a child to a parent and I've, I've seen how my sister grew up as well. And it, there is a stage, there's a huge jump where like your parents mean everything to you. And, you know, it's like, oh my God, like you're inseparable. And then at some point you just, it's almost, there's a stage where you feel like you've grown out of them. And it's like, you still love them, but like anything they do is like, it's not cool anymore. Or, you know, you don't want to hug them as much. And even a lot of it's just silliness, but it's just, you know, it's also to keep up a a certain look and certain things. But especially, I mean, I can only speak necessarily from a boy's perspective. There's a yeah. lot. There's a there's a huge thing. You just don't want your mom and dad hugging and kissing on you, and you know, especially when yeah. you're trying to date girls and things like that. You don't think it's cool, and so and sometimes and that again, I don't I don't know how you do it as a parent because, it, especially in the, the the age we're growing up in now, kids have it really bad, uh, with with all the online bullying and then the school shootings and all that stuff. But, um, I, I don't know how kids, um. I just don't know how kids grow up anymore, like how they actually like survive because you have to, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just hard. It really is. And then it doesn't make it easier on a parent because like when you tell your kid not to do something, they tend to want to do the opposite. The more you push, you know, and I know in your case with the military background, like you could be very, I'm sure there's some strict, maybe not completely, but there's some strictness with the military and you push, oh, yeah. you push so hard. No, don't, don't do drugs. Don't date. Don't have sex. Don't do all these right. things. But all their friends are doing it. So it's like, why, why shouldn't they indulge in it too? Like, you're the parents. You're not cool anymore. So these kid, these kids are cool. Um, but one of the things I did want to ask you, like, how much do you feel like his ADHD played into how he was acting out and, and the addiction and the friends he was hanging out with? You know, um, one of the first things that I ask parents when um, they come to me or, or I have a conversation with parents who are uh, struggling with a child and has a, a substance use disorder, drug or alcohol addiction. I, one of the first things I ask them is, has your child ever been diagnosed ADD or ADHD? And I would say nine times out of 10, the answer is yes. And, uh, particularly when it's boys. So, um, there's definitely a correlation there, and I don't think anyone really has all the answers as to what that is exactly. Um, so uh, I would say that you know it could have something to do with the fact that um, ADHD kids are um, impulsive as part of their behavior. Um, it, they can be impulsive at times. And so they're going to be a little bit more inclined to when someone comes to them and says, Hey, how do you, what about, you want to try this, you know, and, and there's a little peer pressure there. They might be a little bit more inclined than, than the average kid would be to, to give it a try. Um, and then there's the, uh, there's the medication that they're on. Uh, that could play into it somewhat because, um, uh, you know, it's a stimulant. It's a stimulant, and and some kids will become addicted to that. Um, and they and um, you know, I've heard uh, medical professionals use the term self-medicating, where um, kids will you know when they get a little bit older, um, uh, they take themselves off or they come off of their. Uh, prescribed medication, and then they start to experiment with uh, street drugs and things. And I can tell you with Chase, 
he knew that his Concerta that he was on, which was always a very low dose, we always kept the dosage very low compared to what um, you know most kids would would use, and um, uh, he knew that that Concerta had an impact, had a negative impact on his on his appetite, and he was a football player. And he wasn't a very big football player to begin with, so he wanted to get bigger. He wanted to add some muscle. He wanted to add some size, and he was he was working hard at that, working out and everything, and um, and trying to eat good. But he knew that that suppressed his appetite, that um, concerted that he was on. So I know he came off of it uh, when he was in college, and that's about the time that his uh, drug use started. So. You know, I mean, I don't know. I can only make uh, guesses. I'm not a scientist. You know, I, don't, I haven't done any uh, any scientific experiments on it, but but um, it certainly seems like there is uh, some sort of correlation there with the ADHD and, and the drug use. I, I do I do definitely feel like ADHD kids are at a higher risk uh, for potential um, you know drug addiction later on. Yeah, and it it also helps to have a good circle around you. And if you're in a certain group of people who are pushing you in a certain direction, it's you know as he was trying to find his way out. Unfortunately, he didn't. Uh, but yeah, if you're around people that are pushing you into a certain direction, it, there might be certain things his mind doesn't pick up on as the average person would. Or um, I, yeah, it's it's hard to unless you really have that type of mind. It, it's hard to really kind of understand it. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, the the, uh, the people that, and this goes with any anyone really, but we we're really shaped by the people that we associate with, and um, so it's why it's so important, um, especially for young people, to try to find friends who are making good choices and who are, who have goals and ambitions and are, and are trying to do good things in life. Um, because ultimately, you know, you can show me a person, introduce me to a person and I can ask them a few questions and I, you know, get to know them a little bit, but if I really want to know that person, introduce me to their top five friends. And then I really, understand who that person is you know really beginning to get a, a grip on it then um because i see who they hang out with um really does shape who who we are sure or who we become. yeah do you, do you feel like his passing and everything that happened made the rest of your family a lot closer mm, i think it's definitely yes i think so um uh, particularly um, in respect to my younger son, um, you know, we were going through things that the typical father and son go through um, before that. And the thing with Chase was, Chase was so quiet and easygoing, um, I might push him in a direction that I thought he needed to go, and I might not know that he had a problem with that because he wouldn't say anything. He would just keep it to himself. Or if he was going to say anything, he would go to his mom, and then his mom would tell me. You know, um, 
just so quiet and easygoing, and he didn't want to stir up any controversy. His brother, um, he didn't have any problem, you know, letting me know, hey, you know, I make my own decisions. You don't tell me what to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he would push back. They're very stubborn, and we would butt heads. And um, after Chase passed, you know, I just really did some um, self-examination. And it was a hard process I went through for a while. But, uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm still growing. I'm still learning every day. Sure. But the thing about it is that um, I learned that, you know what, I've got, I need to back off of him a little bit and let him make more of his own decisions. And, and I learned to bite my tongue a lot. And if I thought he was doing something that, you know, making that he was making a decision that wasn't necessarily the greatest decision or that there were going to be consequences, I would just not say anything. And, um, you know, there's a right time and a wrong time to say things in, in those situations. It takes some, some discernment, but uh, I backed away off of him and, and it, the relationship totally flipped in that, you know, when he went off to college, he wasn't there long and he was calling me and asking me for advice on different things. And boy, that really, that really made me feel good because I, uh, I felt like, wow, okay. I don't have to, I don't have to give advice now because he's asking for advice and it, it made me feel like, um, he values my opinion. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, this, yeah, here's my 20 at the time, 19, 20 year old son he actually values my opinion on some of these things. Um, uh, that, that made me feel good. And, um, just since then, our, I would say our relationship has really grown, really blossomed, um, even more so in that we're, we're very close. Uh, we do things together, share time and, and, things together and, and just have a lot of good conversations. So, sure. yeah, I, I would say it has really improved. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm happy for you. Up until that point, though, did you re- was there a party that kind of felt like you failed as a father because of what happened to Chase? I mean, obviously, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know how much you really played a real part. I mean, but I mean, you know how it is as a parent. When something doesn't go, you know, when, when something happens to yeah. them, you tend to kind of put it on yourself. And obviously, this was yeah. something so tragic. Yeah, and, and, and that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because um, here's the thing that happens. Um, you know, I tell parents who are in this situation with children who are um, addicted to drugs, I tell them this all the time. There, there's the six C's, I call them, and um, really this started with Al-Anon, started out with the three C's, and uh, somewhere I've picked up a three more to add on, but um, I start out with, you know, Al-Anon says, um, uh, you didn't cause it as a parent. You didn't cause it. You can't control it. You can't cure it. Uh, talking about addiction. And here's what I add, though. I add that you can contribute to the problem. And I think uh, here's the problem that, that parents tend to be, they beat themselves up. They feel guilty um, about, uh, there's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame over the fact that their child has this problem and they can blame themselves. And um, what I would say is that, you know, no parent is perfect. We all make mistakes in parenting and um, forgive yourself and move on. But is there some chance that you may have contributed to the problem? If I'm being realistic, I look at myself and I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm at that place now 
where I can look back and say, yeah, there's mistakes that I made that might have contributed to the problem, you know. And, and in doing that, I can, I can pass that information on to other parents and it, it can help them in more of a prevention type mode. Um, I would say, you know, I wish I had been more open. I wish I had created an environment where Chase felt more comfortable coming to me and talking to me about problems. Um, uh, you know, I wish I hadn't yelled so much. I, went, I wish I hadn't been such a hard nose, such a, a you know, disciplinarian. And, and uh, um, what's the other word I'm looking for here? Um, I wish I hadn't been, you know, let my military side of me uh, dominate so much. I think there's some positives there. I think there's some good things there. Um, but I think, you know, that um, you have to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? You have to temper it. You have to temper that um, so that your your children feel comfortable coming to you and talking to you um, when, when these kind of issues come up. Yeah, you can't really be, like, overbearing with certain things. There's times where parents don't really know, like, they were brought up a certain way or something that helped them, whether it was religion or, in your case, the military. And sometimes parents are just, they're so passionate about where how they were brought up and, and how it affected them that they're like, well, my kids, they have to be affected by it as well because it helped me. But it really, like, church isn't for everybody. The military isn't for everybody. Like, people grow up differently, even if you have the same genetics and, you know, you, he, he has spawned from you. It doesn't necessarily mean that is the way to go. And cause I was, I was wondering when you were talking earlier about kind of sending them to the military, obviously it seemed to have some effect and it actually worked, but I was wondering like, maybe I was wondering if that was the best decision. Cause maybe he didn't really need it to be toughened up or whatever, but if it worked yeah. great. Yeah. yeah I, I could see sometimes like parents tend to push, push their values and, and what they believe in on their kids and sometimes yeah. it, it does benefit and it does work, but it, it doesn't, mm-hmm. even if the intention is good, because obviously your intention was, you know, it was, it was good, but he, it just, some things just don't work for him that it would work the same way for you. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the other thing I, I thought of along these lines is that, um, you know, sometimes I think, while on the one hand, I would say, you know, to parents, uh, you know, do a lot of, of self-examination and, and study parenting and learn everything that you can and and think about how you're parenting and how you can parent better and practice trying to become a better parent. But at the same time, um I would say particularly to parents who find themselves in the situation with a child who is addicted to drugs or alcohol. Um, I have worked with a lot of parents and it's not uncommon. In fact, it's, it's more common than not for them to have two or sometimes three or more children and only one of them has a drug problem. So you go, well, what happened there? You know, are the parents to blame? Well, uh, Maybe they may have, they might, might could have done something different, you know, but overall, they, you know, they, uh, people are people and people are going to choose their own path. A child has a mind of their own and, uh, we all experiment and try different things and that's how we learn. And, and sometimes people just go down the wrong path, you know, despite your best efforts as a parent. Sure. Um, so, 
I think there's a balance there that people have to strike of being, um, you know, having some self-examination, but don't, don't get caught up in the guilt of, oh, you know, um, I, it's all my fault uh, because it, it rarely ever is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and your, your and your wife's job is to prepare him for the world, but how the world yeah. affects him isn't really up to you. You can help. You can give him as many That's tools right. as you can. But the reality is, like, yep. during his young childhood and high school years, he's spending more time at school than he is at home. You know, it's kind of like how right. when you're at work. Like, I spend a lot of time with employees than I do my own family. So, like, you can't really – you can't prepare for that. Like, you don't know how these teachers are going. Like, he may have some really shitty teachers. He may have some great teachers, but also run into right. a bunch of shitty students. Um, and, and who knows, maybe he gets a bad doctor. He gets a bad, like any, he could run into anybody in the world that doesn't live in your household and mm -hmm. you can't control that because again, this is life. And it, it, it like I said, it's hard to prepare anyone for how life is really going to hit you because even in reality, life doesn't even really start until like they graduate high school. Like when they actually have to start really working and, and getting out there. And I mean, you know, they've already started dating and things like that. They've, they've gotten a taste of it, but unless you've actually had some sort of illness or some tragic thing happen, most people get to their high school years and whether high school can be rough or not, whether it's bullying or whatever, it's still nothing compared to what life can be. Like you, you're not prepared to, you know, buy your own home and, you know, get married and have all these, you know, responsibilities, you're still relying on your parents for a lot of things. So, um, yeah, yeah, your, yeah. Your job is just to prepare them and get them ready for, for life. But like I said, I've, you definitely play a part, but mm -hmm. I mean, probably mm -hmm. a much smaller part than you would even give yourself credit for because you don't, it, it's not much. I mean, you're not the one to put the drugs or the alcohol in his hand. You're not the one to make right. him drive and all that. Like, Sure, maybe you could have been a little less, you know, stern and all that on him. But what else are we going to do? I mean, that's the thing. Like you said, you can't focus on the guilt too much because you still know your intentions were to be a great dad. Did you always make the best decisions? No, but there's no perfect parent. I had a good mom, right. but my mom messed up time at times. Um, uh -huh. She babied me sometimes too much to where when I grew up, when I grew up, I kind of wanted certain things a certain way. And I realized like, that's not how life goes. You can't have everything your way. You have to, you have to like deal with, you know, getting knocked on your ass. And of course, having a disability, I know how that feels. It's just, sometimes you just expect things to go your way and it's, that's not it. So, um, but yeah, no, but I mean, it also helps though that he also had both parents. How many kids in this world, especially even yeah. a dad, how many shitty fathers are there in this world that just, don't, I know. don't even take an interest in their child's life. So, um, I, know. I mean, kudos to you for yeah. even, you know, obviously sticking around and doing your duty. Yeah. You know, in, in, in the way I was brought up and in the generation, I guess to a degree that, uh, that I grew up in, that was a no brainer. That's just what you did, you know? Sure. <laughs> and, and that's changed. And I, and I really feel for, uh, these, these kids are growing up today uh, in broken homes and, uh, every chance I get, I try to reach out to them, you know, and I, I don't go out of my way, but, but when a kid, when I run across a kid who just shows up for whatever reason, and this has happened a number of times, you know, I try to, um, instill a little bit of wisdom. I try to, you know, let them know that, Hey, 
if you need anything, let me know. I brought them into my home, and we, we fed kids before. That there's no, uh, they have a, a, a mother, and the mother's not even really doing much. But the but the dad's completely out of the picture. I mean, we we you know we we've, we've had those kind of kids in our home, and and uh, try to try to uh, mentor them, you know, to the degree possible, and. Um, at least they know at the end of the day, well, there's at least one person out there that cares about me and loves me. And, and, um, you know, if, if I can just do that little bit right there, it makes a difference. It makes an impact, I feel like. So, um, I know you're right. It is a tough world out there and kids need everything they can, can going for them today in today's world. Um, and uh, I'm just I'm always looking for ways to uh, encourage young people and and lift them up and, and try to boost their confidence and and point them uh, towards a good path. Sure, yeah, man, it's great what you're doing now, just helping people with addiction and you know, especially parents who lose a child, like all that. None of these things, like when we were earlier talking about like how to prepare yourself for your for having children. You know, there's that whole antic of, you know, you never want your ch- child to bury you, you, you know, or you bury them, you want them to bury you. And it's like, that's awful when it happens, because it does happen way too often. Um, mm. And, you know, especially something like that, where it's like, he, I mean, I'm sure that that feeling of that night probably echoes through your mind, where it's like, you knew he was very close to getting out and just getting away and, and living a better life. And then it ends and it's like, yeah, life can suck. Like there's a lot of beautiful things in this world, but there's really not much you can do as a parent or any kind of influencer in their life to just say, Hey, this is how life can be until they really feel it. You can tell them like, Hey, this is what it's like to have a disability. This is what it's like to, you know, be homeless and all you can tell them that, but unless they can really have that visceral feeling and and the, the knowing of waking up with it and there's no going back, they'll never really know. Um, and yeah, and sometimes they have to find out the hard way, not just necessarily death, but like even just with the addiction part it, and, and, you know, people, more people like you need to do what you're doing because, you know, it's unfortunate that you have to find out, like even you, you had to find out the hard way, like how bad addiction can really be. You know, obviously you I mean it's all over the news. It's all, I'm sure all through where you live, but until it really knocks on your door and says, Hey, you know, addiction is really bad. You're like, well, yeah, it, it, it polluted my son. Um, it, it's, then you, yeah. ha- but it's great that you took such a tragedy and turned it into something beautiful. Even if it still affects you emotionally, at least you're doing something. So there isn't, you know, you're trying to prevent the next, uh, chase. You know, it does affect me emotionally, like particularly when I'm giving a speech somewhere, um, I've given the talk, I've told his, his story, um, and, and I tell a little bit longer version than what I told a few minutes ago. I like to talk about some of his football uh, antics and stuff, but, sure. um, uh, you know, but when I tell the story, it's hard for me to get through it. I've told it thousands of times, and I still, it's hard for me to get through it without getting a little emotional sometimes, and sometimes very emotional. And, um, um, but, at the end of the day, when I'm done with that talk, I walk away. It, it's healing for me. And I know it sounds weird. You know, a lot of people are just like, well, I don't want to have to keep, you know, peeling that scab off the wound. I don't want to have to keep reliving that. 
but something about it, and I'm not saying this is what everybody needs to do by any means, but something about that for me is healing. Because when I share the story, inevitably there's somebody in the audience that will come up to me at the end, usually two or three people or more, and they want to talk more. And they're like, let me tell you, when you said this, that really resonated with me because my mom has this um, alcohol problem or my dad has a drug problem or my son or my my friend or whoever it is. And, um, uh, you know, that part of it, because I'm able to spend a little bit of time with them and talk to them and, and they tell me how much the story, hearing the story meant to them. And it just, it, that part of it is healing for me. Sure. Um, so really get a lot out of it. And I, and I, I love people in general. And so, um, it, you know, that's why I'm motivated to keep doing what I do. Yeah, please do. No, that makes a lot of sense, though. Even to me, you know, I, I used to be very shameful of my disability and, and, and everything I've gone through, all the abuse and trauma. And the more I started sharing on here, it's like the first few times it kind of like took a little out of me. It was like, ugh, like I just felt miserable. Like, ugh, like it wasn't that I was embarrassed about sharing it. It was just like I'm reliving it. And I'm like, huh, like it was almost like it just happened again. And yeah. it's like, I'm refreshing my, like, I'm just, I'm just going through it all over again. And it's like, Oh, like, I don't like, why, why did I do this to myself again? But then as a, like, as you said, as you start to hear from people who you're helping and as you're having these conversations with strangers, you know, you and I just met the other day. So like, as we're having these conversations, you start to feel good. Cause you know, one, you're not alone. And two, it's just, it's just great to get the story out there because you know that's the only way you're really going to be able to help people is to be completely transparent and honest and just give you give everything you can give so that hopefully there isn't another you know relived story that's similar to this. Obviously, there will be, but if we can prevent a couple, that's great. And, you know, um, yeah, right. it, it, it is great to share. And sometimes it may seem like, oh, you don't care because you're, you're smiling and you're still laughing, but it's like you have to move on regardless if he's yeah. dead or not. And he wouldn't want you to sit around and be just sad over him for the rest of your life. And it's always going right. to be there, but you have to, you still have another son to take care of. You still have a wife, yeah. you still have family and friends, and you still have a mission to take his tragedy and turn it into something positive and help other people. But if you sit around and cry about him for the rest of your life, well, you're not doing what you need to be doing. So, um, yeah. Right. You know, some people do get stuck in grief and I, di I didn't want to, to let that happen. And uh, certainly um, losing a child is something that um, you never get over. Um, but like you said, you hit the nail on the head. You know, you don't get over it. You don't just like wake up one day and go, oh, well, you know, that's in the past now. It's, it's, you, I mean, you to an extent, you really relive it every day and, and you miss your child every single minute of every day. But uh, you can learn how to move on, become more resilient, become stronger, move on with your life through the pain and still find enjoyment and find fulfillment in life. And, uh, and the big, the, probably the greatest thing for me is the connection with people is, you know, I've had um, people that have read my book that from other countries that have reached out to me and one couple who their son uh, died of a heroin overdose. And when he was like 31, but he had been a heroin addict for 12 years. And she read my book and reached out to me on Facebook. You know, they, they flew here from Scotland 
and spent three days with us. And it was like, I felt like I had known them my whole life, Like we had this connection. So that connection with people um, that's on a very deep level that would have never happened any other way. Um, you know, sometimes things, it, you know, you, if, if I could go back and do it all over again and undo it, of course, I would want Chase back here. I would want Chase alive. But, man, I would have never met some of these really um, pe- great people that I love so much had things not happened the way they did. So that's sort of the silver lining to the cloud, I guess you would say. No, yeah. But I mean, that's that's what you have. That's the beautiful part that comes from all of it, as much as it's how bad as it looks. And it doesn't seem like there's any way that you can just turn this into anything great. And then something does come from it. It just it, it seems impossible in the beginning, but time does pass and, you know, they say heals all wounds. It won't ever be a, you know, fully healed, but it gets better. And, you know, but when, and when you can do what you're doing, where you are impacting people and you're helping people like through his name, you know, it's almost like he's there with you not to be cheesy, but it's almost like he's there with you to help these people. And, and he's doing in in some way, he's doing more good while dead than he is alive. And, and however it works, through his name, he's right. still making an impact. Yeah, absolutely. You. Absolutely. Uh, and that's one of the things that I bring up in my talks is that, you know, that's one of the things that keeps me going is that I don't want his memory to fade, you know, and I don't want his death to have been in vain. And um, this gives me, you know, the opportunity to sort of keep him alive in that, in that respect and to, um, you know, for something good to come out of it. Because I know that, that uh, if I get a story out there enough, somewhere it's going to make an impact on somebody. Not that I have anything to do with it other than I'm just the, the conduit. I'm just the, the vessel that um, can, can relate the story to people. Yeah, for sure. Now, you were saying something earlier. I mean, we could wrap up soon here, but you were saying something earlier about how you were adding three Cs, and you said uh, contribute, but you never said what the other two were. Yeah, let's see. So you didn't cause it. You, you can't control it. You can't cure it. Um, I don't know if I can remember. Oh, I'm sorry head. to put you on. Uh, maybe you just, yeah, maybe you blew it <laughs> off on purpose. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to throw you on just five. I thought, uh, thought you knew. I didn't want to ruin your thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can contribute to the problems, but you can also contribute to um, the solution. And... Um, uh, I don't remember the other ones right That's off the top right, no of worries. my head. No. I think that that part of it um, is is very important. That you know, understanding that um, contributing, you can be, you can contribute to the solution if you're a parent that you find yourself in that situation. Because um, what you can do is get educated about addiction. Learn how. Here's one of the other things. Look, it just came to me learn how to change your communications, learn how to communicate better. Um, and, and your communication particularly takes on a different meaning. Uh, you know, communication, good communication is, is important in every relationship, but particularly in certain ways when you're dealing with a child who has a, a, a substance use disorder. Um, and then um, – Change, I think, is the last C. And, it, and, and what I tell people about that is you can change. Now, you, you can't change other people. You can't control other people. 
And when we try to control other people and get them to do, even if our intentions are good, like I'm going to try to make my kid do this because I know it's the best thing for them. It doesn't work, but you can have a positive influence on them. And the best way to have a positive influence on your child or on anyone else that you want to influence is to change yourself for the better. And you may say, and here's what parents, I think, Here's, here here was, was my thought when I first heard something along these lines and when Chase was in the early stages of addiction. Mm-hmm. I, well, he's the one with the problem, not me. What do I need to change? You know, you get a little bit yeah. defensive. and uh, But I would just say, look, let those walls down. Understand that you can't change your child but you or, or anyone else in this world, but you can change yourself. And if you start working on yourself, that you have the best opportunity that be a positive influence on the people around you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what? Uh, yeah, one thing you didn't. <laughs> one thing you didn't say was uh, what? What is the the name of your book? Uh, the name of that book is A Life Half Lived: A True Story of Love, Addiction, Tragedy, and Hope. A Life Half Lived. Chase's cover. Uh, Chase's uh, photo. The uh, photo that he took of himself is on the cover. It's just his face, and he was very artistic. It's really dark on one side, bright blue eye on the other side, and it's a very striking image. You can't miss it. Um, And like I said, people can can, uh, get the Kindle version for free, or if they want a a paperback version, they can get the paperback. I think it's $15. And um, uh, if they'll write to me, I'll I'll mail them uh, an autographed uh, book. But... um, um, I've got a couple of other books out there on, on different topics, but um, uh, anyway, um, uh, they can also reach out to me through um, my email address or they can go to my website. Um, and I guess you can, can put some links out there for them uh, when you, when you produce a show, but sure, yeah. um, we'll be um, happy to, um, people can even call me or, or um, I can't tell you how many calls I've had from parents who are just desperate, you know, desperate because of their uh, situation with their child. And unfortunately, I have had to attend a few uh, funerals um, uh, of some 20-somethings, you know. The fentanyl is really bad right now, and it's such a powerful drug. And yeah. um, there's a lot of overdoses uh, happening right now, and, and I hate to see it, but, you know, um, that's why parents need to get armed with uh, the best information they can as quickly as they can. Uh, the earlier they can, can take some type of um, measures um, and get educated about the topic, the, the better uh, the chances are for a good outcome. Yeah. Well, I love what you're doing, buddy. I appreciate you for coming on and, you know, keep doing what you're doing because, you know, the world needs it, honestly. Um, you know, where I okay, live. I and I appreciate you uh, giving me an opportunity to uh, to be on your show. And, um, man, I just hope um, hope this message and I hope your message continues to reach people out there and, and uh, that uh, I, I'm sure it will and that there are people who are going to come across uh, your podcast and it's going to change their lives in a positive way. So For keep sure. doing what you're doing. Yeah, thank you, buddy. I hope you keep in touch. Like I said, anything you need from me, you need anything, you know, whatever, I'll support you in whatever you're doing. I, I, I really appreciate you, and uh, like I said, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. All right, brother. We'll talk soon, okay? All right. Hey, uh, 
Um, are we done recording? Oh, yeah, here I'll, I'll go. Okay, we're good. Oh, hold on. Thank you.